um, my name is Lynn Queen, and I live here in Batavia, and I also work at Mercy Housing, and I also attend Chapel Street Church. I have a friend that I was on leadership with for Moms Together, and she invited me to help with a fundraiser for, to raise money for Mercy Housing. And I had never heard of Mercy Housing, but of course my heart just said, yes, I will help you with what you need. And I was intrigued to learn that they're my neighbors and that they need so much help. So I have three children that are in the same school district as many of these children. And I have a son who is very quiet, my youngest, and he would be asking for two sandwiches, two bags of chips, two apples. And I thought, he can't be eating all that. Finally one day I asked him, what are you doing with all this food? And he said, there's some kids that don't have lunches and I want to share mine with them. And that really touched my heart. And I thought, who are these children that he's talking about? And my daughter said that there was a boy that needed clothing. He was wearing the same thing every day. And I, I just went on with my day and didn't think much about it. And I thought, well, let's pray about it. How can we help people? And when I came that day, I saw two of the children that I knew that my children were talking about. And I thought, there's a way I could serve them. I need to do this. So I visited and met with the property manager because I just felt this calling to see how I could help and serve here. And they offered a job and I started working shortly after. Um, I've been here three and a half years. The last time Chapel Street was here was 2019 and we had a wonderful turnout. They were able to create a second raised garden for us, which we have people that have never grown food before. We have children that have never seen how food was grown. So Chapel Street built those shelves here for us. The food pantry has shelves and we've been able to serve so many families every month from just having shelving units on the walls so that we could expand that food pantry. Now it's a full-grown pantry for those who don't drive because we have many seniors and um, people who don't have a car, so they're able to um, utilize our pantry and help them get through the month. So Chapel Street today for their day of serving is working on organizing our art room. They're also working on our picnic tables, which we have many people that um, do love to sit outside and they've never been stained, so they're rough and it's many splinters, lots of tears. So I have a list on my phone and I always have my phone with me and I make a list of things I see or residents needs and sometimes I just want to scream it from the rooftops. I need help with this. So um, when we were gathered today I just asked if anyone knew anything about computers and someone stepped right up. Oh my gosh I see five on! Oh, wow! Are you kidding? Oh my gosh! Okay I'm gonna hug you. I don't care. I'm gonna hug you. I'm so grateful to have that opportunity to have the kids come back in the fall and say, oh, I can use the computers now. I think working here at Mercy Housing has strengthened my relationship with God in that I am his servant. I am full of joy. And when people say I'm passionate, I'm honored because I know it's my passion for God that gives me that strength and grace and courage to do what I do. And I just feel like that's our calling is to help one another and serve one another. So I just pray every day that God will give me those right words or actions to take to, to serve the residents here who are my neighbors.
Well, I, uh, um, I'm so encouraged. I've gotten to know Lynn um, over the years and, and had opportunities to partner in some different ways and just appreciate her heart for ministry and, and um, her willingness to be used of God. As you tell these stories again, you know, like, this is not about patting ourselves on the back, like, oh, look at this thing that we did. This is about keeping the vision of the kingdom of God in front of us and our role in, in living that out, enacting that, being a part of that. If we can use story to compel us and to inspire us, encourage us, uh, that's what we want to do. And I think that's a, an excellent example of that. And I'm so appreciative. I, that group that was there for this year's uh, Neighborhood Serve is, is uh, part of our sub-30 ministries. So it's uh, a bunch of our our families that are in their 20s and getting together and serving in that way. And, and we're so grateful and so grateful for each of you. Um, not only that participated in Neighborhood Serve, that was fantastic, but that's not meant to be kind of a, a one and done thing, right? That's, it's meant to be kind of a boost that continues to compel us to loving our neighbors, whether that's us collectively here in the Mill Creek neighborhood, or if that is you individually with your neighbors on your street living that out. Um, and we're so grateful that you are a part of it. We are in our last couple of weeks of the study of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, where we have been looking at these examples of those that, that the passage says lived by faith. They, they lived with this conviction that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he will do. And so the author lists these, these examples in order to instruct and encourage this group of first century followers of Jesus who are, and really by extension then us as well, and what it means or what it looks like for us to live by faith as, as we seek to see his kingdom advanced here and now, just, just as they did. So we too, are, in essence, are these people living kind of as we talked about in the in-between between the delivery of the promise and the full realization of the promise. He's citing all these people who, who knew of God's covenant with Abraham, knew that he would establish a family that would become a nation, and out of this nation, the whole world would be blessed through these covenants and, and with the Messiah. And they waited, they looked forward. And we too are a people on this side of, of the cross who know that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to establish a new, a new heaven and a new earth and everything wrong is going to be made right. Justice is going to, to be enacted and his kingdom is going to be experienced in full. And in the meantime, we wait. And so he, he gives us this as a description of what it means, what it looks like to live by faith. And he does so by utilizing, by, by capturing the power of story. His tool is, is story. There's a, there's a realization that you arrive at somewhere early on in your pastoral life that's difficult and, and, and some levels painful, but important. And that's the realization that nobody remembers what you say. <laughs> like... I remember as a youth pastor, right, sometimes you would be up there, you gave like the most meaningful, most powerful, like well thought out, well articulated message, and the next week you're kind of building on that, and you would say to the students, like, who remembers what we talked about last week? Nothing. Like, like they're like, we were here last week, like, is it? 
And unless we get all judgy, we are not a lot better off as adults, right? If I were to say, without looking at your notes, tell me the three main points that we talked about last week. Most of us would maybe be able to get some one of them somewhere close, but, but for most of us, we wouldn't recall that. But what we do recall oftentimes is story. In part because I think story actually helps us connect emotionally and spiritually, mentally to, to the truths that, that we're trying to explore in Scripture together. If you think about the teaching of, of Jesus, oftentimes when he's asked, like, help explain to us how your kingdom works or how this is different than everything that we've known, what's he do? He tells a story. He says, well, let me tell you about this farmer who's going out and he's throwing seed and it lands in all these different soils. Or let me tell you about these two sons and, and one of them goes off and lives frivolously in promiscuity and sin has captured his life. And the other one is placed his whole trust in kind of his own self-righteousness and how they both need to be restored to the Father. He tells us stories. So the author of Hebrews here, in, in order to help us understand and help us capture what it means to live by faith. He, he refers to story after story, stories that, that this original audience would have known and been very familiar with. Stories of those who, who demonstrated what they believed about God by acting in faithful obedience to Him. And so throughout these stories together, we've seen we can trace these, these two kind of prominent themes throughout his entire kind of history of God's promise. The first, and, and I think most important, is, is the faithfulness of, of the God of the promise. It's, it's God's ability, the covenant that he's making, right? Our faith is placed. He's the object of it. And that's what makes it viable. But then secondly, it's that the people who lived in relationship, they lived in light of this promise. They lived in the awareness of it, and it, it, it helped define for them the actions they were going to take. God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he said he will do. And the story continues from generation to generation. The author of Hebrews is tracing it all the way up to this group of followers of Jesus who are trying to, to follow the example of those who had gone before them and live in this confidence in what they hoped for and the assurance of what they did not see. That, that definition he uses in Hebrews chapter 1. And he's weaving us into the story. We are heirs of the same promise. We, we come into relationship with Yahweh, with the all-holy, all-creator God in the very same way that they did, by faith. Now the author of Hebrews is, is going to trace this promise all the way back from Abel and, and Genesis up to Jesus and, and this group of followers living in an effort to live um, by faith in Jesus. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. As we do, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would speak as we look into his word today. Father, we do just thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, we come into your word and we ask that you would reveal to us more of you. 
more of who you are, more of what you've done, and that we would understand this kingdom that you're building and, and the part that we play in it. Lord, give us the humility to be transformed by you today, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick stuff up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and uh, the author here is starting to like, it's kind of like when you guys, when a pastor is sort of like, looks at the clock and back, realizes he's out of time and still has his whole third point to get to, right? Like, not that you can relate to that or have ever experienced that, but he's, he's trying to say a lot, but he's doing it quickly. And this is where he begins. He says, what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Let's pause there. He begins, as he's kind of starting to wrap stuff up, he, he, he helps us understand what it looks like when faith looks like victory. When faith looks like success or, or when faith looks like the miraculous. But the, the conclusion of, of the letter begins as kind of similar to what preceded this portion. With the miraculous and the victorious. With the exception of Abel, who is killed by his brother Cain, we look at these examples that we've been talking about, and so frequently we find ourselves saying, like, look what God did. Look at the amazing things that he did. What would it be like to experience that, to see that, to see the success of his kingdom advancing? And right, these are the stories that we love to tell. These are the moments that, that we love to, to capture. When I was a kid, my very favorite movie ever was the movie Hoosiers. I, I grew up in southern Ohio, right next to Richmond, Indiana. And when I saw this movie, at this point in time, the university, if you don't know about Indiana, they, they like their basketball. And this movie was playing at the same time the University of Indiana was one of the top-ranked teams. And it came out in November. It was still playing all the way in March. And so as the tournament is happening... This movie is still playing, and I saw it in Richmond, Indiana, in a packed theater, every seat filled, and the whole crowd watching this movie reacted like this was live action stuff. Like this was unfolding right in front of us. The big shot was made, everybody standing and cheering and going nuts, right? And if you know the story, this little school in Indiana, Hickory, makes it all the way to the state championship against the South Bend Central Bears. And the South Bend Central Bears are one of the largest schools. This time in Indiana, there was no divisions. So in the state tournament, the, the small schools played the big schools. You didn't separate it at all. This was South Bend Central Bears was the powerhouse team. This is the team that everybody expected to win. You know, and if you know the story, Jimmy Chipwood makes the final shot. They win the big game, right? That's what we make movies about. We don't, we don't have a movie called the South Bend Central Bears, right? Like... <laughs> That's not the story that we love to tell. The author of Hebrews says, I don't, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, who despite wrestling in very real ways with fear and doubt, even at times looking like a coward, 
ultimately has his, his military force whittled down to 300 people as they go against the Midianites so that when the victory is won, it would be clear who won the victory. You can read this in Judges chapter 7. Or Barak, who was the military leader under the judge uh, of Deborah, when Deborah was the judge in Israel. And again, you see how God used him in order to defend the oppressed and to free the Israelites from their enemies. Judges chapter 4. Jephthah, which I'm going to, I'll be honest with you, if I'm building a list of people that, uh, that I'm going to highlight, I don't know that Jephthah's in it. Um, he... It's a really difficult story in Judges chapter 11. Again, God uses him in powerful ways. And then he does something really stupid. He makes this vow that he says, whatever comes out my door, when I return from battle, I will sacrifice to you. And his daughter walks out the door. It's just this horrific story. As if, it's like, how, you do know nothing about Yahweh? That's not what Yahweh wants from you. And it, and yet he's mentioned here, God used him. This, this, we continue to see this group of deeply flawed people who also expressed faith in, in God, and God works in the midst of that. And it goes on, David, who defeats Goliath, the prophet Samuel, Samson, that's, that's a whole nother story there. So the Old Testament is just full of these examples of those who trusted God in various aspects imperfectly in so many ways, responded to his call, and, and when they do so, the result is, is these amazing victories. It says, by faith they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions, a reference to Daniel. They quenched the, the raging of fire, a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword, Elijah and others. Gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. There's multiple examples of them. Women received their dead, raised to life again. This is the ministry of Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and Elijah in 2 Kings 4. By faith, this, this again, this deeply flawed group of people saw the promise of God advance in powerful and miraculous and victorious ways. The, the immediate outcome of their faith was the experience of God defeating the enemy, freeing the oppressed, advancing the promise. These are the stories that we love to tell. We love it when when faith looks like victory. And telling these stories is important. I, I, it's one of the reasons that we tell stories, like, like Lynn's. When God moves among his people and his kingdom is more fully and accurately represented here, like who doesn't want to tell that story? Look how God is working in the community, right? One of the stories that's referred to in, here in Hebrews chapter 11 is, is, it's one of my favorites, but it really is my uh, middle daughter Lainey's favorite story. She loves to teach on it. She taught on it this summer. Um, and it's referenced here when it says, by faith they quenched the raging of fire. And referring to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these, these three exiled Hebrews who are living in Babylon. So this, this 
portion of scripture, by the way, is very um, relevant in our own current experience of what does it mean to live according to the kingdom of God and to be here right now. There's so much for us to learn in, in this part of Israel's history. If you know the story, you know that Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, sets up this this gold statue, and every time music starts to play, there is a command that people would bow and worship to this statue of him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are living in covenant relationship with Yahweh, despite as exiles, are like, yeah, we, we can't do that. Like, our first two things are have no other God before me and, and, and have no idols. And so this is kind of a, a no-go for us. And eventually they are reported to Nebuchadnezzar. They're brought before him and he, he basically gives them this, this ultimatum that they will respond and worship to him or they're going to die as a result. This is where we pick things up in, in the prophet Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar is there and he says this. He says, now if this is verse 15, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And this, listen to the question asking, and who is the God who can rescue you from my power? So he kind of like throws the gauntlet down here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. And even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, this just enrages him. Like they're, I mean, they're totally respectful and, and they're totally like, we just can't do that. And he has the furnace just set to like blazing hot, so much so that those who are taking to throw them into the fire die as a result of the heat. And now go down to verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He said, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods, right? The, the, the pre-incarnate Christ there in the fire with them to protect them. And I highlight this story as we're reading this because at the one level, we can understand why it's cited this amazing victory that's won Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says when they came out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. But they also did not base their faith on the outcome. Notice it's independent of the outcome. They say we... We know what our God can do. We don't know what he's going to do, but we know what he can do. But our faith is in him and we can't disobey him in order to obey you. So we're going to live by faith and trust him with the outcome. We're going to live by faith and trust him with the outcome. Which brings us then to this second list of people in Hebrews 11, after we get this, this group of just these amazing, powerful, miraculous victories, 
There's a second list. Look back in, in chapter, uh, or excuse me, in verse 35. So he says, women received their dead, raised to life again, and then there's this turn. It said other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, which is the, the history holds is how Jeremiah died, the prophet. They were sawn in two, and um, tradition holds that that's how Isaiah, the prophet, died. They died by sword, which was a lot of people. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. So now the author of Hebrews here gives us another list. A list that's marked by suffering and persecution and torture and even death. He says these, these two, the people who experienced this, this is also a list of those who lived by faith. Right? And he's writing this to an audience who their immediate experience, their immediate circumstances, are, they probably feel more uh, connected to this second list than they did to the first list. I wonder if you ever wrestle with moments in your life where you feel like your faith is sort of dependent upon outcome. Or, or, or perhaps outcomes are indicative of how much faith that you have. I know that when, when my dad was wrestling with cancer and you, you saw him progress and degress and all these sorts of things, like I it was difficult to avoid kind of falling into that trap where you imagine something going well or something not going well based on the faith that you could muster up. And you were sort of like, this is, this is what these outcomes are dependent upon. And so when, when he passes away and you're wrestling with this idea of did this, did I, could I not be strong enough? Could I not, was my faith too, too weak? Maybe you've experienced something similar. Several of the commentaries, the scholars that I read in, in reading about this passage, um, the, the whole of Hebrews 11 is kind of working forward chronologically. And, and many people suggest that this last section here is, is referenced not only to the prophets, that we know some of their story, but also to kind of the intertestamental period between Malachi and the 400 years before Jesus arrives, when the people of Israel are again living under exile and occupation and persecution, and some of the worst of which came under the Greek emperor um, and king Antiochus Epiphanes around circa 150 BC. Um, this guy is the worst. Like, he just was. Uh, a villain on kind of the highest level. There's a story uh, recorded in, um, in Maccabees, which tells uh, some of the story of this, this part of the history of Israel. Um, after the, the, there had been a Jewish revolt against him, um, he came and just wreaked havoc on the people. And, and one of the stories records this mother with her seven sons as she is watching them tortured and killed. Um, because they refused to bow a knee to Antiochus. 
and she gets to the last of her seven sons who has watched his brothers all die in front of him. And the king offers all kinds of reward if he will be the one who will, he's actually trying to force them to, to eat pork. And this kind of ties in with the abomination of desolation. If you know that, that part of history and they say to his mother, go talk some sense into your son. He can live, and not only can he live, but he can experience immense wealth as a result. And so she goes and she talks to her son. And this is recorded in, in Maccabees. This is what she says. She says to her last remaining son, do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers, accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. Look at verse 35 in Hebrews 11. Others were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. This is what she is pointing to. This is what she's holding on to. This idea that God is, is this is not the end of the story. And the brother goes forward and refuses and not only dies a, a gruesome death, but then his mother does as well because they believed in the promise of who Yahweh is and what he said he'll do. This list is, it's a list of those who lived by faith. So here in this list, this is a group of people who had a very tangible value assessment and the ultra convictions that that the life that faithfulness in God offered them was far superior, it was a better resurrection than anything that this world could offer them. List two describes a kind of faith that runs deeper than immediate outcomes. It carries through suffering and the confidence that God will be true to his world. Many Christians around our world right now, they, they read these words and the circumstances that they find themselves in where persecution and, and even suffering are, are not only possible, they're very likely outcomes. Recognizing that this is, this is not our experience, right? Most of us don't suffer as the result of our faith. But we do wrestle with the temptation to exchange, as, as Timothy Keller describes it, our agenda for God instead of God himself. To exchange our agenda for God instead of God himself. So the question we wrestle with, is our faith in our agenda for God or is it in God? Is, is he there to meet our agenda or does he set the agenda? So Hebrews takes these, these two lists and sets them next to each other. Where faith looks like victory and, and where faith looks like defeat. In order that we might see that both results in the experience of the promise of God. It's only a question of when and how. And of course, all of this, all of this is kind of in this picture, it's pointing us towards Jesus, this faith in a better resurrection. It's all directing us towards him. Which leads us to the third thing, when faith looks like perfection. When faith looks like perfection, verse 39 and 40. All of these were approved through faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God provided something better for us so that they would uh, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. I, my best friend in high school, uh, Vince, was this amazing artist. 
he, he, he would um, do sculptures and paintings and he just had an incredible gift. I was always so jealous of like his ability. And oftentimes I'd be hanging out and I'd come into his room and he'd have something that he was working on. And I would be like, what's this Vince? Or I don't like, what's going on? And his answer was always like, it's not finished. You're not, you're not seeing the, the finished product. You're not seeing the, the perfection. This is kind of the Greek word here that's translated perfection means like the fullness, the completeness of, of what it's going to be. And without fail, every time when it was done, you could see the whole image, you can see it, and it was beautiful. And you can see the vision of the artist that produced it. Right? Hebrews says all these people died waiting for the promise to come. They, they were waiting for the promised Messiah. They were waiting to live under the new covenant, but that wasn't their experience. But our experience, right? We live, and it, it says it here in the text, God has provided something better for us. We live in the witness of the empty cross. We, we live on the other side of the promise that they, they set their hope and faith in. Their, their faith was vindicated when Jesus defeated sin and shame and death itself, when he bore the weight of humanity's sin on the cross. And what did he say on the cross? It's finished. It's finished. It's the same group, Greek root word there that we hear in Hebrews chapter 11. All of this has been pointing us to Jesus, the object of our faith, the one in whom we have placed it our trust. And look at, we're going to dive into this next week, so I'm, I'm not going to say a lot here, but look at how Hebrews, this whole section ends at the very beginning of Hebrews 12. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter, same Greek word of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is why when he's finishing up this section, he says that, that, that he had something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. We are the continuation of their story. We're, we're the heirs of their faith. It's all been leading us to Jesus, and Jesus is leading us to the day when he's going to set all things new again. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this day and the opportunity just again to look at the story and the examples of those who have modeled to us what faith looks like. And we recognize and acknowledge that the circumstances that we live in in many ways are, are so different than what they experienced. And yet, Jesus, the call to follow you, the call to live by faith is the same. And so, God, I pray that we would see ourselves as an extension of their story, this this covenant promise work that you've been doing um, from the very beginning and that continues on in us. May we live, may we follow you in faithful obedience because we know and understand that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you'll do. We can trust you with the promise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Before we uh, wrap up this morning, there's one more thing um, that we want to do, and it is um, very bittersweet for me, but I'm going to invite the Jordismas to join me up here. We are going to dedicate this sweet family um, and their six boys. We've been working on uh, getting together a baseball team, but they're just three away from, well, come on up here by me, guys. Come on up here front and center. And um, I say bittersweet because the Jordismas are moving back to Holland, Michigan. Um, and, and so while we are getting to dedicate Jesse and his brothers, um, we also are saying goodbye to them and commissioning them. We're, we're sending them because we know that the kingdom work that you have been doing here You knew this would happen. It's, <laughs> is is going to continue on. Right, Levi? Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and so we're going to dedicate all six boys today. We're going to pray over them. And we're going to commission them as, as a family to, to go represent his kingdom up in, in Holland. Um, if you've been here before, you know that for us, a child dedication is really a threefold covenant. It's something that we do where the parents are making a covenant uh, between themselves and God. They're making a covenant between themselves and, and their boys. And they're also making a covenant uh, with us as a church family to them. And we know this will be different for us. This is largely going to be based on, on prayer because you'll be living away from us. We acknowledge and recognize that children are a gift from God. Scripture proclaims that they are a, a, a heritage, a reward that God gives us. As believers, we're called to recognize that, that children first belong to him and that they're given to us and entrusted to us. And so it's appropriate today that they be dedicated back to God. As you guys know, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah presented her son to the Lord and for his service in the temple. In Luke chapter 2, we see Mary and Joseph do the very same thing as they bring Jesus in to, to be dedicated and commissioned. And so I want to read this section from Deuteronomy chapter 6 over your family today. And then we'll, um, we'll dedicate the boys. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And we know you guys have modeled that so beautifully in your home. We know that's something that you'll continue to do. And so I want to read this, Hannah and Tyler, to you, um, and then you can respond. Hannah and Tyler, having come to dedicate your boys to the Lord, I now ask you to enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people. Do you today recognize these boys as a gift from God and that in blessing you with his children, he's also charged you with the responsibility of raising your, child, your children in the knowledge and in the love of God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's help, you will bring up your boys in the instruction of the Lord, making every effort with patience and love to build into them the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives? Do you promise to pray for them 
and to set for them a Christ-like example in your own life? If so, please say, we do. We do. Then church family, I'm going to ask you to stand as well. And I'm going to read this over you, and, and in a moment you'll respond. Do you all here today, as members of God's family, promise to pray for, encourage, and support these families, this family, and the raising of their boys? Do you promise to be for them a loving community of faith, even if it's from a distance? And do you promise that, as you have opportunity, you will encourage and teach these children in the knowledge and the love of God? If so, please say, we do. Thank you. You can have a seat. So I'm going to, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to pray for each boy individually. Is that all right? Silas, you want to go first? Is that okay? Silas is the oldest, and and I'm just going to pray a prayer of dedication. Libby's going to be over here with me too. You guys, I know you, Libby's, she's crying too on the inside. (laughs) Father, we just thank you for Silas, for the already the way we've seen him grow and how you've raised him and his, his, uh, how you've taught him about you. And Lord, we see the man that you're shaping him into be. God, we dedicate him to you in your service. Lord, use him for your kingdom. Continue to teach him more about who you are. And as he follows you, Lord, that you would use him for your good purposes. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. And River, can I pray for you real quick, buddy? This is River. Father, I do just thank you for River. I thank you for his life and the way that you have um, brought him into this family. Lord, we dedicate him to you today and for your service and for your ultimate glory. Lord, go before him, protect him, watch over him, and use him for your kingdom purposes. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. And there's Judas over here, right, buddy? Can I pray for you? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Father, I do just thank you for Judah. I thank you for the sweet, tender heart that you gave him. I thank you for the way that um, he has already grown in deeper understanding of you and the love that you have for him. Lord, continue to bless his, his life, watch over and protect him. Lord, go before him. Today in faith, Lord, we dedicate him to you for your glory and for your ultimate purposes. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Levi, my buddy. Yeah, can I pray for you, my man? Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> Levi, we just pray for you and we dedicate you today. Lord, we're so thankful for the way God has just given you such an exuberance for for um, life and for the, um, the work that we know he has in store for you. Lord. So we just pray uh, God's blessings over Levi. We pray that you would continue to go before him and watch over him and protect him. Lord, we pray that you would teach you more about who you are. Lord, your good plan for him. Today we dedicate him to you in faith. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Finn, you can come over here by me, bud. Can I pray for you? Pray. Yeah, pray? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you so much for Finn. We thank you for the story that you're writing on his life, for the gift that he is to his brothers and to his parents, and for how you are growing him and teaching him more about you. Jesus, we pray in faith that you will use him to build your kingdom and to be a living demonstration of your love and grace for others. Lord, in faith, we dedicate him to you today for your glory and for your good purposes. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, buddy. Can I pray for your brother? Yeah? There's one more. Oh, my goodness. Now, see, he was born. This is is Jesse, Jesse Jordan, Jordisma. 
and he was born a week and a half ago. And so we're going to um, dedicate him today um, before the Lord. Father, we do just um, thank you for sweet Jesse. We thank you for the gift that he is to Hannah and Tyler and for what he adds to this sweet family. Lord, we know that, um, that you knit him together and that your plans for him are perfect and that you will work through his life for your good purposes and for your ultimate glory. And so today, we dedicate him to you. Lord, we pray that you would use him for your glory and your ultimate purposes. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. One, more, one more prayer, real fits. Would you pray with me as we commission this family and we send them? Father, we do just, um, we are so grateful for, for the time that we have had with the Jordismas. We're so grateful for the ways they've invest, invested in the body of Christ and the ways that you've used them. God, we pray that you would send them um, with your kingdom in view. Lord, we know that there's, there's so much um, that you want to build and do in Holland and around there and that you're going to use them in the church. And so, Lord, we commission them as they go out from this, Lord. We, we know that we're going to miss them, but we know um, that we're going to see them. And so, God, we, we pray your blessings over their family. We pray your protection over them. Go before them. Be with them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for this morning's benediction? I'm just going to hold this baby as long as I can. <laughs> see we, by the way, we've got um, some, some certificates and a Bible that we wanted to share with, with all of you. So instead of getting all six of them the same Bible, we bought one really big Bible. That was, <laughs> was yeah, yeah, fill up your bookshelves. Um, we can, uh, uh, by the way, our prayer team will be available. Our, our, uh, if you came prepared to give this morning, our generosity boxes are by the door. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ who by faith invites us into relationship with, with him, with the almighty creator, holy God. Lord, teach us to live in light of your promise, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.